Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We are coming to you from my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in America. And our show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. We don't have a $25,000 Hollywood quality studio. What we do have is an artificial intelligence app. And uh, to me, that's a pretty smart way of doing things. So with that, we're going to dive into today's topic, which is about how to know something about your story and how to uncover the stories that hold you back. See, there comes a point when we as entrepreneurs must recognize that it is time to make changes to our brand. And what we're going to explore today are some wise pieces of guidance for how to move your business through the decision and the reasons why the journey is worth it. I have an observation on this, which I'll share once we get started here. But first of all, let me introduce your guest. Her name is Jackie Biebenroth. She's an award-winning positioning expert and agency founder who draws from two decades experience as a brand strategist and entrepreneur to help visionary leaders achieve transformation inside their businesses and beyond. She's actually shaped some of the nation's leading brands and using her own productive distancing techniques for her brand strategy, she helps businesses evolve and define their true purpose, that is, the why, so they can march forward with unwavering clarity and confidence. She has an agency called Moose, and that's spelled M-U-S-E, like a moose, like uh, an inspiration for a painting. And uh, there, she and her team of strategists and creatives who are dialed into the needs of clients and nutrition and wellness segments where behavior and lifestyle change is a prerequisite to success, uh, this is where she has some of her greatest case study examples. And along the way, she's picked up a few accolades, most notably the South by Southwest Interactive Finalist Award and the Content Marketing Institute's Content Marketing Leader of the Year. Whoa. Jackie, come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs) I bet it is in Las Vegas. Well, relatively speaking, <laughs> so we, uh, so this is so impressive. I read off the official bio. This is so impressive. I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. So what I'd like to do before we get into this thing about uncovering these stories that hold us back and understanding the signs uh, for rebranding and some of the other great things we're going to share today is let's pull back the curtain a little bit. And tell us in your own words a bit about your journey, about what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. 
Certainly. Well, thanks so much for having me, Adam. I am honored to be here. And I really appreciate what you do in that you inspire and educate entrepreneurs to reach into their full potential. And that's a bit of what I do as well, but through the branding lens. So uh, I've been working in the agency world for over 25 years. I've grown up as a copywriter, meaning I, I would write to sell for many different brands. And over time, as I climbed the ladder and I realized my ambition, I sort of grew up into this communication strategist where I consult business owners and executives to help them read between the lines of their own stories and identify what matters to their audiences and ultimately what matters to their goals and objectives and what might be holding them back from that growth uh, based on what they're telling themselves. Okay. Well, that's something that I ask myself just about every day, three times a day. And it's part of an, an introspection that a lot of entrepreneurs go through. Now, I was just speaking with one of the clients in our Launcher Podcast Fast program, and we were discussing how he had previously been in a different business and hosted a different podcast by a different name, which went on hiatus when he did a pivot in his business a few years ago. Now he's back into podcasting with something new that he's doing in the industry, which is very exciting. And it came up that uh, we compared his business history to my business history. And we noticed this seems like we either rebrand or revamp every three to five years. Now, do you find this to be pretty much the trend for entrepreneurs? And if it is, should it be? I think it can be a bit more dramatic with entrepreneurs. So what I mean by that is when, uh, you know, you're not a corporation with multi, multi millions of dollars to lose <laughs> when right. you make a pivot, uh, you have the flexibility to say, you know what, this isn't working, I'm gonna try something else. So if, if that's what you mean by a rebrand, uh, I think that as entrepreneurs, we naturally do that as we grow into our journey. Um, and I would say the most successful entrepreneurs do it by building on what they've already started versus chucking it out the window and starting with something else. Okay. So what are some of the signs that indicate that it might be time to look at doing this? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded question. There are so many. I think it, it can be a feeling like you're hitting your head against the wall. <laughs> and nobody's buying what you're putting out there. I mean, uh -huh. that, that could be one thing. Another one could be maybe you were successful to a point and your revenue has hit a plateau and you feel stuck. Yeah. So I, th I think that's most common and something where it might be time to take a fresh look at your website and say, you know what? Am I communicating appropriately? Am I offering the right services and products at the right price points? Maybe, maybe not. How can I improve? Right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think I think these are a few things to uh, to keep in mind. Now, you mentioned that with entrepreneurs, it can sometimes be dramatic in the sense that um, how do I put this? We don't have as much to lose. Yeah, relatively speaking. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, and and the more you grow, the more you have to lose. So, what I found is early stage businesses often pivot quite often, and even you know when we talk about tech companies, we talk about this concept of the MVP. 
So they're building uh-huh. a product to put it out there for testing and then they get feedback and then they pivot it. And sometimes those pivots can be into a totally different audience or a totally different function. Um, but as we get into a, a, say a more mature stage, maybe 10 years plus, then the, the pivot becomes more of an evolution. And because you've spent the last 10 years of blood, sweat, and tears building on this reputation, building on this product or service set, you don't necessarily want to overhaul that, but you do want to give it a more modern and fresh approach, or perhaps you want to go after a a different type of audience. So that's when we start talking about this concept of brand evolution and in in lieu of, you know, just, um, you know, a a complete change of the brand. Yeah, I, I, I see, I see what you mean. And, uh, but sometimes it's tempting because you, had a 30-minute free consult with a branding agency, and they've convinced you that you've completely screwed up everything up until now. <laughs> which actually Don't fall which, for that. Yeah, which actually leads me to my next question is, how do you define branding? So branding ultimately is the perception of your business in the mind of your consumer. Okay. It's not a logo. It's, it's comprised of a logo, but it's not a logo. Right. Uh, it's not, it's not a campaign. It's a, it's a feeling that someone has. So when we're thinking about rebranding a company, one of the first things that we ask our clients, customers is what are the first three words that come to mind when you think of so-and-so business? And we measure the consistency between those words. In some cases, those those words might be uh, transactional. They might be like uh, cheap, or they might be um, expensive, or something like that. In other uh, in other cases, the words might be more emotional. They're like more like compassionate, or something that's reflective of the service that's given. And so, when we think about the concept of branding, what we're really trying to do through the tactics of logo, visual identity, messaging, we're trying to create a feeling and a perception in someone that makes them not only want to buy your product or service, it makes them want to keep buying for the long term. Uh-huh. That's that's an interesting way of putting it. So you're definitely telling me that uh, a business is not necessarily made or broken because uh, they... They, there may or not be a precise use of a particular color on a website. Correct. And <laughs> and those elements that are really intentionally designed by brand professionals, there's, you know, color theory in that. Yeah. They can influence a feeling, right? Like I can look at a logo right now and tell you, like, okay, this this company is a premium company versus this company is a commodity company. We tend to kind of look at it in that, but there should never be subjectivity in that, Adam. That is so important. If your brand agency is is telling you like, I don't like that. Like, so what? Like, so what if you don't like it? Does my audience like it? Does my audience value it, respect it? Do they feel good about it? And that's what we're going for as brand professionals. 
Right. Yeah. Like I like I uh, have delved into color theory uh, pretty significantly, particularly in figuring out how to shade hero images on certain websites and things like that. And, uh, you know, we like at one point we were trying to uh, one of our clients actually was trying to come up with a color that represented diversity. And after going through several of these color theories, they came up with yellow. I didn't quite understand it, but that's what the science said. Uh, but I didn't like it either. It just didn't. You know, it didn't, didn't. It didn't feel right. It felt. It felt like if we're talking about diversity, it should just be a heck of a lot of colors. I would agree with that <laughs> to a point, but also, I, I mean, it's it's also about a first impression. So, like when we're presenting logo and color concepts to our clients. Before we even start the presentation, we have them get out a pad of paper and say, what we want you to do is take down your very first impression. What do you feel when you see this? And because that is what your, your audiences see. They will have a first impression. If they see yellow and think diversity, great. But will the majority of audiences think that? Probably not. But no. if, it's back, if it's backed up, like then after that first stage of first impression, then we get into deconstructing the theory and we provide a rationale for why we're making these decisions. But that is when that kind of thinking and um, deconstruction kind of comes into play, but only after we've evaluated first impression. Yeah. Okay. I was just, I was just wondering about that. See, I have a story that I've told on, on several of these episodes and this was back when we were in the web development industry i'm this happened about 15 years ago uh we had a client that was in a particular field i'm not going to say anything else about who they are i'm not even going to say whether it was a male or a female i'm just going to say it was a client out of business and uh they had gone uh they had worked with a branding agency who had uh, come up with this color swatch for them that involved using a certain shade of purple now technologically that's pretty simple you sent their swatch had the hex code on it so with that you kind of know the shade of purple so we developed mm -hmm. a website uh with its uh primary color and the foundations behind some of the graphic modifications using that shade of purple the client absolutely insisted that uh, we had gotten it wrong and uh couldn't just ask us to look at it again they had to take the oh-so-reasonable step of hiring one of our direct competitors to do an analysis of our work to tell us how to use hex codes. And this was after I had filmed a video for this client showing them the CSS file. That's the style sheet that tells the website basically what color and fonts to use, for those who don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah, we They actually still exist, even though we've kind of move beyond html websites for the most part but they're there and uh and i was gonna pull up and i filmed it on camtasia look here is the here is the hex code we're using it i then also opened up adobe photoshop i and another software i think it was uh, paint shop pro or something and used that little color dropper thing to apply it to the purple <laughs> on the website to show it's yielding the same hex code they said, yeah. "No, we don't, we don't buy it. We've we've hired somebody else, and they're going to teach you how to do this." Well, the other company gladly took this client's money and told the client oh. that we had gotten it right, 
and uh, cue a meltdown saying that they were dead in the water and they could never start their business because we couldn't get a hex code right. Now, it turns out that I was friends with this client's business partner, and this business partner had access to my client's office. By this point, what do you think I was suspecting was going on? Let's uh, let's see if you can take a wild guess. I have no idea. Monitors, <laughs> this is, this is... Monitor settings. Of course. Uh-huh. That makes sense. So this uh so this uh so this uh, client's business partner was also tired of hearing about it secondhand. And, and I was able to prevail upon the partner. I said, next time your colleague is out, can you please go to their desk and change their monitor settings to this? And he was delighted to do it. And so I just sat back and uh, and then I and then I got a I got an email from him said said, All right, change the settings. And I just uh, you know started a timer. Didn't even take two hours, and I heard from my client said, I don't know what you did, but it's great that you finally figured out the purple hex code. We can go live now. I'm just so sorry you couldn't get this right sooner. And I thought How long whatever. how long I, did that take? That entire story? What was the about three weeks, oh, about three weeks, yeah, and just yeah. and, and, oh. and, 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 and just to finish it, and just to finish it, I didn't say this to the client, but this was actually my sentiment: is like, look, you paid me up front, whatever, because that was the feeling that that engendered from yeah. just that we're going to drag this out over something that I've repeatedly demonstrated is correct, and even when I tried to tell the client that it was probably their monitor settings, they refused to listen. This is an extreme example that very few people I've told this story to can relate to because they don't see this level very often. But yeah. I bring it up because, A, we tend to be a little provocative here because I like my listeners to sit up and say, whoa, what was that? Uh, pattern interrupts. And B, because I want to come up with the most extreme example of how to misinterpret the power of branding. So for all those weeks that the audience missed out on seeing that website where the purple hex code was correct, that was weeks of that client missing opportunities to create no like and trust and bonding with their prospective clients. Yes, and the the final lesson learned there is like get a Pantone book. <laughs> uh -huh. you know? Like we we've had we've had issues like that before where we've been in we've been in presentations presenting on a projector that presents a different color uh -huh. than what's on our screen and on a screen share behind us. So I I've been in situations where there've been three different color sets of the same color so we just bring our pantone books with us and we just break those colors out and that's the true color because you can even you can print it out and it still won't be true so but i get what you're saying it could be a hassle well yeah yeah and see you understand pantone books which a lot of people have never heard of and if you don't have a physical one you can look at one on the internet but of course then you are subject to your monitor settings exactly the point the point <laughs> being is there are many different ways to prove this so now that we've taken this segue just to um inject a bit of ridiculousness into this conversation for purposes of focusing on what we need to just you know put in a box tie a bow on and lovingly set aside 
let's look at what we actually do need to consider when we go through a rebranding, when we feel it's necessary to do so. Yeah, so the first thing I would say, if you're considering a rebranding, you should consider your resources, right? So one of the ways that I can tell if a business is like a startup versus a more mature business is that startups typically call their, you know, wife's cousin who went to graphic design school or they look uh-huh. at 99designs.com <laughs> and, you know, you DIY your brands and, and that is totally fine in a startup stage. Um, but you get to a point where maybe, uh, you know, you've, you've, meet, you've met a series of benchmarks. You want to increase your price points uh, because branding really impacts the value perception. So yeah. um, if, you, if your brand represents the quality of what you offer, you're more likely to garner higher price points. It's one of the big advantages of professional branding. So, um, you know, if you're in an early stage, that's fine. Find a high quality freelancer. Please do not use those like, you know, 99 designs. <laughs> sites. And you never know what you're going to get and it may not be great. Um, but as you grow into, uh, you know, a growth stage kind of business, definitely look at hiring a firm. Um, uh-huh. Because what you get with a firm is the resources who know better. They've learned all the lessons about the hex codes and this and that. You have a team uh-huh. of people who are sitting around a table talking about the variables of your brand and what we want that brand to accomplish. So yes, that's more expensive, but yes, that professional uh, touch on a brand. It is absolutely seen and felt by your consumers and it's worth the investment. Uh, I Just a quick side note. I also, the way that I talk to my entrepreneurial clients about brand investment, I use the analogy of a restaurant. Like imagine you opened a restaurant and you're evaluating the equipment. You need a stove for the output of the, of the product, right? That Stove is an asset that depreciates over time. So you might invest in like a used stove at first because you're just starting up, but then over time you can afford a shinier, uh, higher quality version. That's It's something that falls as an asset on your balance sheet and it depreciates over time. Your brand is the same way. Uh-huh. So you should be thinking about your brand in that way, not as a marketing expense that delivers ROI. Yeah. It will deliver ROI, but not not in the same way as, say, like digital marketing, right? Um, it's an asset for your business and it builds equity, but yet it also depreciates. So you should be saving money every year, setting that aside for brand optimization and ultimately evolution as you go down that path and you evolve as a business. Um, so, so those are some considerations around, around a rebrand. I'm happy to talk to you about the process. A lot of people don't, what's that saying? They just want to eat the sausage. They don't like to hear how it's made. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I can talk to you all about the process if you'd like. Well, yeah, if you could tell us a bit more about that. Now, are we talking about the productive distancing method? Yeah, I can, I can tell you about that. It's a technique we use as part of our process to help entrepreneurs in particular 
see their business more clearly. Okay. So first of all, when you think about a brand, again, as we've discussed, it's not just your logo and your website and your visual identity. Your brand is also your messaging and the position that your company owns within the competitive landscape. So when we do rebranding, we start with the positioning and the messaging, and then we build the visual identity once that is complete. Because the messaging often informs the visual identity, different components, the personality, the style of it. Uh, so so this, this personality and messaging, this has to do with answering the question, are you saying the right thing at the right time to the right audience? One thing that I think entrepreneurs especially get tripped up with is you ask them, tell me about your business. Right. And they'll sit down and they'll be like, well, how much time do you have? Uh -huh. <laughs> and they'll talk for like 20 minutes, right? With marketing and branding, you always assume someone does not care what you have to say. You have uh -huh. to earn their attention. It's not like a movie or reading a book. This is not entertainment. You have to like tell them very specific parts of your story and earn their attention over time. And so the messaging process really does that. And that's where we get into this productive distancing. Because a lot of times what entrepreneurs tell me when they tell me about their business, their buyers actually don't care. The entrepreneur might think their value proposition is one thing, but the buyer is actually buying for a totally different reason. Yeah. <laughs> and so like one example of this is, um, I want to tell you about the origin story of my business. So I had this epiphany. I woke up one day and this and that. I decided to go into this business. I'm so passionate about it. Like, I will say sometimes that story is interesting, but most times people don't care. <laughs> what they want to know from you is how does your product or service solve my problem, period? Yeah. And so our productive distancing method really helps our clients back up from their stories and say, okay, what's really important uh, to my customers? And I'm going to assume that I'm solving their problems in this way, but maybe it could be in a totally different way. So we, we go forth and survey the customers, survey the employees, survey the entrepreneur, and then identify and align what that true value proposition is. Okay. Um, with I'm with you so far. So basically, by you know, by the distancing side of it, it's the idea of what I'm hearing is removing your own ego from it, uh, for lack of a better phrase. Oh, you bet. Oh, totally. And that's the big thing. That's why I love working with entrepreneurs because it it can be it can be very uncomfortable to shed your ego around your business. I mean, there's right. a lot of passion and emotion and ego caught up in it. I know. I I'm speak from experience personally. Uh -huh. um, but when, when we sit them down and tell them objectively, like you need to let that go and we need to really talk about what's important to your audience, both in how you talk to them and how you service them, then most people sit up and listen. Um, and so 
I can sh I can share some ways that we do that if you'd like. But yeah, you know, we, have, we, have, the... we actually have some time <laughs> to do that. So go right ahead. Okay. So the first question that we ask, by the way, just to sum this up, productive distancing is a series of questions and it requires a true authentic curiosity about looking inside your business first. Uh -huh. Never, um, never forget the importance of like branding from the inside out, meaning especially established businesses, there's equity in there. We just have to find it and then we leverage it. The alternative to that is looking outside the business and saying, what do my customers want? Oh, I'm going to give them that. Or what are my competitors not doing? Oh, I'm going to fill that gap. Yeah. What happens if you only do that exclusively, which is you should do that, but you should do it within the context of your internal perspective first, because otherwise you're just chasing shiny things. And that's how we get uh -huh. into these pivoting situations that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So the first thing we ask people is um, in five, five statements or less, tell me what your business does. And what we're looking for in the answer is we're looking for them to tell us the industry that they serve, what they sell, and who they sell it to. It's kind of a test. Okay. In five statements or less, tell me what your business does. So Muse, my firm, we are a branding and content marketing firm for food and wellness businesses. That's what we do. That's our positioning. All right. Um, most. Now, I could have said Muse is an advertising agency. Or Muse is a website company because we do websites. Okay. Or, but I specifically chose we are a branding and content marketing firm. We do those two things. We don't do digital marketing. <laughs> you know, Um so it keeps us very focused. And the uh -huh. first flag that I get from an entrepreneur is when they can't tell me what that category is. Which category? The category of business that they're in. Okay, because you mentioned Muse and uh, categories. And my podcast production assistant, Princess Alessandra, is here. And she's really curious what you're talking about. Yeah, in terms of the category of business. The category, yes. Yeah, so this is especially <laughs> important when you have a when you have a business name that's kind of esoteric. Yeah. So like Muse, that could be anything. Uh-huh. Muse is a branding and content marketing firm. We say that on the homepage of our website because otherwise we don't want people wondering, right? Right. And so, like, when I'm working with, say, um, what I, I'll give you an example. I was working with a restaurant once, and they wanted the name of the restaurant was called Spice. And I said, "What kind of restaurant is it? Is it a is it a fine dining restaurant? Is it a is it a local cafe? Like, what is it?" And it took them a really long time, but we ultimately circled back around to the category of kitchen and bar. 
Spice Kitchen and Bar. That was the name of the restaurant. Okay. They had their name, but they didn't have their category. See, that tells me a lot more about it. Uh, because, I mean, spice, what does that mean? Does that mean they sell spices? Does that mean that everything is right. spicy? Does that mean Does that mean that your server's going to get spicy with you? I mean, I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, the possibilities are endless. Now, uh, totally. now, I meant, now you mentioned categories and, uh, and muse, and uh, I'm just pointing out that my cat is here sitting beside me. That's what I was getting at. Well, I can see your cat in your picture, but I can't see your cat on your screen because I don't have your video up. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I would have known that. And P.S. I have two cats at home who are all over me on Zoom all the time. So I totally love that. Yes, that was Sandra. Such a pretty girl. But anyway, go ahead. Let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, keep uh, plunging forward here because I really I really love some of the things that we're covering here. So. You know, you've yeah. you've shown you've given us a bit of a roadmap for you know the way to approach the rebranding process. Some of the questions to ask, and what I have argue so often is a lot of times people don't know what questions to ask, or even to know, know that there are questions that they can ask. So you fulfilled right. two of the things that we look for in our process here. Uh, but that being said, uh, what are some roadblocks that people run into? when they undertake a rebranding project. And the reason I ask this is in part is uh, I could go back to those questions that you just shared and I could think, oh God, I don't know. <laughs> well, the other thing to consider is like, you know, is your category holding you back? Like, is your category limiting you in one industry when you could be serving a broader umbrella? And right. I, can't, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head here quickly, but um, we, we like to look at this from like a transactional standpoint, like, okay, this company actually sells products, but then they also have like an online course and this educational element to what they do but the, the, the category that they serve is really just line, it's, it's like communicating their products. So people are missing out on this whole other aspect of what they do. And it's sort of pigeonholing um, the brand. And so that, that is part of the rebrand process, like evaluating um, that category is so important because it often opens the door to other related things that you could be selling to make more money. Yeah. Um, so, um, but thinking about some more questions. So the next question I asked, these are very basic questions, but you'd be surprised people ha have a real hard time answering. <laughs> um, the next question is, what do you sell? What do you sell? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And like sometimes especially if it's like an e-commerce company or something, they sell a whole bunch of stuff, right? Uh -huh. uh, so what we try to do in those circumstances is like if, if you list off more than 10 things, we try to bucket those things in categories so that the narrative is very much aligned. It's not like we sell everything under the sun. It's more like we uh -huh. sell this, this, and this. And then that opens the door to different different. Uh, buckets of products and services. Yeah. I think. 
I think marketing firms are extra guilty about that because there is so much to sell. There's so many different tactics you could do as a marketer. Like marketing firms just want to, you know, do a money grab and, you know, if you need it, we sell it. Uh (laughs) But, um, you know, I would caution against that. Be very specific about what you sell because the first thing someone is going to do to vet you in their buying process in their mind they're going to think, do they sell what I think I need? And if you're not saying that directly, that's a problem and you risk losing them. They're going to bounce. Yeah. So, so that, that question is very important. The next level of discernment when someone is vetting whether or not they want to buy your product or service is typically how, how are you different? better how are you different or better what is your Uh competitive advantage so once they understand okay this company has what i think i need now it's like how is this company it's a little more expensive than the competitor why should i buy them and not the competitor and this is where your stories come in so your story about how you source your stuff how you make it you know your process your service delivery model your great customer service, and of course, your origin story, all that goes into that sort of second layer of the onion uh, by answering the question, how are you different or better? Very simple. What do you sell? How are you different or better? And then the third question is why? And I don't know if you're familiar with the Simon Sinek power of why he has a he's a leadership consultant he has a ted talk um and he he he's all about purpose-driven brands Uh uh-huh so why answers the question why are you beneficial beyond just solving the problem so this is where your values really come into play This also can be where your origin story comes into play. Like I started this business because I'm so passionate about changing how people like interact with the earth. You know, I'm, I'm a climate change advocate and I, I want to offer you this new recyclable thing. Um, That why that purpose, it's not what you lead with quite often, unless you're a nonprofit. But it is an important part of the story because it's what keeps people coming back. If someone believes that you share their values, they will ultimately come back and continue to buy from you over your competitor. That's that's where brand affinity, the brand trust, brand loyalty, that's where that lives. This brand shares my values. And that may be something that impacts the first purchase, but it's certainly something that impacts all the other purchases and the upsell that you might have in the future. Wow. See, that th- this, is a, this is an approach that I have really never quite seen before. So uh, I, in, in so many conversations about branding, the origin story actually comes before picking the color or the shade of purple. And what you're telling me is it could actually be in fourth or fifth place. Yeah, but with the disclaimer that it depends on the company. 
Um, you know, like we work with food companies that someone is walking into the store and they're hungry. They have a craving for a candy bar. They're going to buy the candy bar and walk out the door. Uh-huh. Person doesn't necessarily care about the why of that product. We work with wellness companies that have a true purpose in making an impact on the quality of life of the people that they serve. When someone is about to invest time and money in themselves with a brand like that, they want to know that that particular um, brand shares their values. So that might be more forward in the narrative, but um, like I said, it depends, but it's those three components. What you sell, how you do it differently, and why you do what you do. That's it. Okay. So how do you know when, what makes a rebranding a success? And how do you know when you've achieved it? (laughs) Is it ever achieved? I don't know. (laughs) Um, That is a great question, Adam. Let me think about that for a minute. Uh, First and foremost, a way to... Uh, measure the success of a rebranding initiative is by uh, um, achieving buy-in from your internal audiences. So uh-huh. your your people are excited about it. They're nodding their heads. They're jazzed to spread the word. They feel a sense of confidence when talking about their business, um, there's more excitement and engagement around the brand. So Uh I would say the first measure of success is internal. Um, The second measure of success is sort of an external consistency. Now, granted, depending on your uh, screen, (laughs) the color might show up differently, but Uh, you really want to make sure that you have as much control possible over the variables that you decided are part of your brand. Color palette, typeface, logos, um, messaging and the language that you choose. All that stuff should be consistent across all aspects of your communication. And in and of itself, I mean, that could be like, that could take up to a year uh-huh. You know, it's everything from like your website is sort of your first, your first go at that, but your sales materials, your stationery, your signage, your email signature, all the things. So that is like next in terms of a short-term uh, achievement. And then finally, like I said, brand does not in and of itself deliver immediate ROI. It'll probably, when you announce it to the world, depending on the size of your constituency, it will probably give you a jump, like a a little buzz, right? Um, But ultimately, from, from our perspective, if our clients can increase their price points as a result of the investment that they've, um, they've, made with us, we see that as a win. So suddenly our clients are working smarter, not harder. They're like, they're 
selling maybe the same amount or a touch more depending on the marketing program, but they're selling it at a higher level or maybe their cart sizes are bigger. Maybe their conversion rates are higher because what the salespeople are saying out in the universe, somebody comes and checks them out online. It's all consistent and aligned and it lines up. So conversion rates are close rates are increased. These are things that come up down the road after a year or two, you can start to see some momentum there. Okay. So this is not the type of thing where we announce, I, and again, I'm asking this question that's facetious, but it's just to make a point. So as soon as we uh, announce that we've uh, implemented our new brand, we probably should not start a stopwatch and count the seconds until our first $25,000 sales. No, if you want to do that, call a digital marketing company. No, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So, so really, yeah, like I said, it's an investment in an asset. It's not an expense that delivers immediate ROI. It's super important to understand. Right, 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 right. And, you know, what you're telling me about the, you know, the consistency and everything, uh, just, you know, approximately how long have you been involved in uh, the world of online marketing? The world of branding in particular or? Uh, just like, in general, yeah. just just in general, how 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 long have you had owned businesses that have had their websites? Well, I started uh, like 26, 27 years ago in an agency where we were just convincing brands that websites were not a flash in the pan. Like, oh, like you okay. needed to do a website. <laughs> like, right, so, uh, right, I've, right, right. So you're way before me for a very long time and um, exclusively in marketing. I've never done anything else. And yeah. uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, so I've seen a lot of change and evolution. And um, uh, personally, I, I love branding because I get to work with the decision makers. So like these high level executives or the business owners themselves to make these big decisions that impact the long-term vision and trajectory of the company. Like that is super exciting for me versus like, I suppose I could probably, you know, do pretty well in digital marketing, but it's a very knee jerk short-term situation. And, and I, I really like thinking about more weighty topics when it comes to marketing. Right. Okay. So you, we're back in the days when uh, people were still questioning whether you need a website, which, by the way, came up again with the advent of social media. And they started asking, why do we need a website? We could just have a, a Pinterest page. But anyway, so you, <laughs> so so you were around when uh, when for those of us who are informed about how the, all this stuff works, server side includes became a thing. I'm sorry, say that again. What became Ser a thing? Server side includes. Okay. You don't remember? No. This is uh the these were files that you would attach within the design of an HTML website that would command a web page to use a different file or reference a different file to pull in the header, and then reference another okay. different file to pull in the sidebars, another file to put in the footer. Uh, it would also uh, reference a code to pull in the CSS to create the style and design and everything. And, you know, in the early days of being in web development, one of the biggest things I had to do was argue with people who didn't even know how to uh, 
post, you know, post to a blogger site uh, that uh, server-side includes were actually important because if you ever change the brand of your website, you only had to change it in one place. Otherwise, you're going to end up with 27 designs on your site. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, then, and then some of these same and then, and then some of these same clients came back and uh and would say hey i found this page it's like uh three levels down and it doesn't have the new logo on it i thought you guys took care of this like <laughs> okay remember server side includes uh now any con content management system you use whether it's wordpress joomla or anything like that is to this day based on server-side include. It's the idea that you have consistent areas of your design. So when I think of what you just described and what you've been telling us about, uh, it makes me think of the value that those files had in allowing us to essentially make a change one place and enforce at least a level of consistency down the line. So important, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I, for efficiency too, you know. Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, I, I, I've been on committees uh, for professional organizations, boards of directors, and have seen uh, have seen uh, getting eight people in a room who were allegedly business executives who couldn't get together on uh, understanding the correct version of the flyer uh, for their major signature event. And <laughs> uh, to the to, to the point where their hired administrator uh, sent the wrong version to some organization that we were asking to sponsor us after I had, uh, after I as the, you know, director of communications for that organization, not to mention the vice president thereof, I actually, there were actually technically two titles and I held them both, um, had specified that that previous version of the flyer was to be circular filed. And then she tried to say, I said this, okay. I said, no, it's not okay. Because, right. because in that flyer, in addition to the date being wrong, which you may have advised them over the telephone, our organization's name was not identified correctly. We are a local chapter of a national entity. We are not the national entity itself. That flyer failed to address that. We cannot Ooh. use it, and it should not be used. Yeah. Any organization yeah. you think of. I mean, you can think of the National Speakers Association. You can think of, God, back in the day it was called ASTD. I'm not sure what. Yeah, and they've been through a couple rebranding since then. They have a different name now. Um, then you also have the Project Management Institute. You have the Change Management Institute. Uh, you can go on and on and on. Uh, uh, the Society for Human Resource Management. Uh, these are all organizations that have local and regional chapters and need to be identified as such. Another one is the Association of Change Management Professionals, ACMP. They have dozens of chapters, and all of their local chapter designations include the name of the city that they're based in. Yes, and can I just do a quick plug for my client there? We work with the Entrepreneurs Organization, and oh, they yes. have that same situation. Uh -huh. um, so we we actually built, but they were but they were having issues like with inconsistent sales communications at the chapter level. Wow! So we worked with the regional level to build them a site called HelloEO.org, and when you go there. It has the brand story of EO, but it allows you to select the appropriate chapter that you're you're closest to, right? So hello, I hello, hello eo.org. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah. You could take a little quiz. Um, <laughs> but oh, I oh I oh I see it right here. You've got um, 
you've got uh, you've got chat you've got the you know the listing for the various chapters you can uh, you can go by um, an alphabetical list and find your local chapter contact your local chapter and yes I do see the uh, the area where you can actually actually find the resources that go along with that particular chapter and each chapter has its own website they don't all have the same design but it looks like they uh, essentially choose from a range of designs. I just clicked on four or five of them. Yeah, so we don't do the design of the chat. We don't do chapter level communication, but at the regional level, they were very invested in trying to establish brand consistency and also create some efficiencies for the chapter so they don't have to do that themselves. Um, but yeah, if you're an entrepreneur who needs an organization to help you get unstuck, that is the organization. It's awesome. Right, right. I'm just looking to see if you have one in Las Vegas or not. Uh, oh, there it is. Let's see. Let's see how close uh, Las Vegas came to your. Uh... Okay, it's a little bit of a different type of site, and it has that little timeline type menu on the left hand side. But it's a different approach than Boston's, and a different approach than Seattle's. So, but what I do see here is, while allowing for chapters to have a level of autonomy in how they present their own websites. There is consistency. I, I can look at any of these sites, and I believe they're part of VO because they have that that logo with the circles in it, and they have the and they have the the particular font that they use and that particular shade of blue combined with that particular shade of reddish pink. Yep, absolutely. it's all there. Yep. Wow that that that's just great. So as we uh, conclude here, and we are pretty much at the top of the hour here, uh, what I want to uh, just suggest is if an entrepreneur is finding themselves feeling perhaps stuck or wondering why their business isn't moving like it should or why things have come to a standstill, and they're be and they're thinking that. Could this be a branding issue? Should I look at my brand? Should they really do it now? Uh, is there something else they should ask first? And if the and if branding is really the place to go, and this could be a reiteration, what is the first thing that they should be considering or asking? Yeah, that and that feeling that you talk about. Sometimes it's not they can't just they can't put their finger on it, right? It's just like yeah. it feels like my pants are too tight. Like, I, can't, like uh -huh. I have outgrown my pants, <laughs> but, um, and so like, I, I highly recommend that they just contact a branding agency in particular. Do not go to a general marketing company or a digital marketing company, like find a local branding agency or a boutique one. Um, and quite often they will give you their two cents for free. Um, just to have the conversation. So I, don't be afraid to have the conversation and just say, you know, I'm looking for somebody to do a quick audit and um, let me know if, if like, but when you, when you do that, you have to tell them that these are my goals for this business in the future. Does this yeah. align, does this brand based on my website, does this align with these goals? And if so, why or why not? And I, I bet that any, um, especially the smaller ones, would be really to uh, provide a an opinion for you. Oh wow! Well, that well, that's great. That's great. So, uh, 
So that's a great bifurcation and a great place to begin that conversation and also a great place to wrap up our conversation. So what I invite all of our listeners to do, listeners to do is visit Jackie Babenroth's websites, one of which is eponymously named after herself, uh, www.jackiebabenroth.com, which is spelled B-E-B-E-N-R-O-T-H. Or you could just go to our show notes and click on it. And the other is mooseheadquarters.com. That's www.mooseheadquarters.com. And that's where you'll gain more information about the branding agency we've been discussing. And with that, Jackie, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. It's been great. Um, Thanks for having me. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.